I don't know if I like this girl that's over here making noise. Let's talk turkey. Hello, New Mexico. James Pittman here with the New Mexico Wildlife Podcast. We have a great show for you today. I am super excited to have Game and Fish Officer Storm Ushery joining us today. Storm, thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me, James. Um, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna have fun today, man. Absolutely. Now, Storm, tell us a little bit about yourself. You were born and raised in New Mexico, right? Yeah, I was uh, born and raised uh, here in New Mexico. I grew up around the Gallup, New Mexico area. Um, graduated. Uh, um, high school here, uh, worked around the area, and, and um, eventually um, I moved to the eastern side of the state, and I got my uh, my degree. I, I knew I wanted to be a game and fish officer. It just took me a little bit longer in life to be able to be able to go, you know, obtain that goal. But I ended up moving to the eastern side of the state, got my degree, and was fortunate in hiring on with the department. Um, I guess it would have been my last semester of school, and that would have been in 2005. So I was very fortunate. It, it's been a, a blessing, a great career. Um, you know, my first duty station was there in Magdalena, and I, I went to Aztec and was fortunate to work out of Gallup, uh, my home area. Um, I worked out of Santa Fe for a bit uh, as a biologist, uh, worked as the wild turkey biologist up in this, out of the Santa Fe office. And um uh, you know, came back to, to the field op side, uh, worked as a field training officer and was the corporal in the Gallup area. And then now it led me to uh, the, the current position I'm in. I, I did keep my commission, but um, I'm the uh, conservation education manager for the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish. So I, I didn't realize you'd been on that long. You've been on with Game and Fish for quite a while. Yeah, quite a while, man. It's, it's one of those that... Uh, I'll hit uh, 15 years at the end of December, so it, it's been uh, it's been one hell of a ride. It's been a lot of fun. Um, not a lot of people in their lifetime can say I, I got to go work my career, uh, you know, kind of my goal career, if you will, my dream job. And and I'm very fortunate and blessed that I've got to be able to do that. And I mean, I've worked every corner of this state. I've literally worked from the four corners to over north to Clayton, I mean, right off the Oklahoma line. I've been in the Guadalupe's, the Pelencios, uh, over uh, on the southwestern part of the state. I, I literally have worked everywhere in the state, so it, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've got to experience a lot of good stuff, man. So that's awesome. Hey, Storm, I remember we were on an elk capture probably a year or so ago, and you told me a little bit about how your family actually got to New Mexico. How they how they came to the state. Do you mind kind of sharing that with us today? Yeah, no, you bet. You bet. You know, growing up, I had always heard that we had family members that lived down in in Mexico. And, and what's really cool, my mom actually has a book about our family history. And I was able to read up on some of that. Some of my mom's family, they they actually had moved down to Mexico in the 1880s and lived there until 1912. And um I, I actually have a great, great, great grandfather that's still buried um, down in Pacheco, Mexico. Uh, he was killed in a sawmill accident. But my great, great grandfather, um, he lived in Colonias Diaz, Mexico uh, with his family. 
And when, uh, you know, basically the Mexican Revolution kicked off and was really starting to pick up, they ended up moving out of Mexico in 1912. And uh, they, they... I believe before they went to Mexico, they had some ties to the Raymond, New Mexico area, but it was one of those that when they left Mexico in 1912, they kind of settled down around Dog Springs, New Mexico. And uh, to my understanding, that's down there close to the Deming, New Mexico uh, country and lived there for a couple years and then eventually came back north and they uh, resided around the Raymond, New Mexico area. In that book, it was kind of fascinating to me, like my great, great grandfather, uh, you know, he was actually, as a as a young man, he was actually working in a mine in Mexico, and he actually got smallpox, and they made him uh, basically live in a certain reach of the mine until he was healed. He actually was fortunate to come out of that ordeal, but just some of the family history and stuff, it's just, you know, um, pretty fascinating to me. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's some some great family history and great New Mexico history. It's kind of kind of cool to know. Uh, Storm, your your official title with the department now is the conservation education manager. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. My my official job title. I'm the conservation education manager. Um, it was a position that Kevin Holiday um, had uh, once he retired. You know that that position opened up, and I thought, man, that would be a a fun job. I mean, part of the thing I loved when I was in district as a district officer was going to the schools and, and kind of educating in that capacity. And, and, you know, because as a district officer, part of your community policing, being involved within that community is definitely going to the schools, uh, promoting stuff with the agency and, and, you know, whether it's, it's, it's hunting, fishing, uh, wildlife management, fisheries management, just, what, what a game warden does just that that aspect of the job always appealed to me and and when that job opened up i went ahead and threw my name in the hat and was fortunate enough in getting hired for that man so can you can you tell us a little bit about what you specifically do in that job you mentioned going into the schools yeah yeah it's one of those that um the, the conservation education manager um you know with that position or that title uh, I started in August of 2019 um, I do supervise two employees uh, one of them would be our aquatic ed coordinator and I'll talk a little bit more about that program in a little bit but um, as far as my new job title um, some of the things that I've been able to do is go to um, some schools and to be able to go in there and, and talk about like turkey biology or to talk about elk, or just to talk about wildlife in general, take in a wildlife trunk and pull out uh, some hides, some antlers, some horns, some skulls, and talk about wildlife ID. Um, and, and, you know, when I do that with kids, it's real important that they know that, you know, these just aren't dead critters we're bringing. These are scientific specimens because, um, as, as you and I know, I mean, when, when you're Going through college uh, and, and you're in a wildlife program, a lot of the specimens that you're looking at, I mean, they're going to be, you know, dead critters, but they're scientific specimens. So to be able to take those in and just try to educate kids uh, on, you know, even like, uh, you know, I could pull a bear skull out and just looking at a skull of a bear, you, you I mean, looking at their teeth, they're going to let you know how they make a living and to be able to educate those kids and um, it, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I do enjoy that. And, uh, 
it kind of opens their eyes up because I mean, there's some kids that, um, you know, they don't venture much past, you know, maybe their house or a, or a baseball park or whatever. And, uh, just don't have that opportunity to get out into the outdoors. But if we're able to bring some of that into the classroom to kind of educate them and just to let them know, I mean, at the end of the day, when we're talking about wildlife in New Mexico, statutorily, I mean, they belong to the citizens of New Mexico and these kids are citizens. And just to know that, I mean, they have a vested interest. It's very important uh, for them to know that, um, you know, these things are out there and just educating them. I, I love doing that, man. So That's awesome. Is, is it mainly in the classroom or, or is some of it um, outdoors? Is it, is it all like public schools or do you work with, with other groups like you know, Girl Scouts, church groups, things like that? Yeah, yeah, it, it could be any group, man. Um, predominantly, a lot of the stuff I do, it's it's mainly with schools because we'll have people uh, reaching out to us. But I, I've been to senior centers. I've talked to Boy Scout groups. And, and some of these I've done just, you know, as a district officer. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I it could be any and all of the above. I've been to church groups, um, you name it, just anybody that's wanting to, you know, get educated a little bit more about wildlife. We've got these trunks we can easily go into um, a location. It could be outdoors, indoors, and just, just try to educate uh, the folks a little bit more about some of the wildlife that we do have in the state of New Mexico. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, it may be a PowerPoint presentation in conjunction with using uh, some of the, the scientific specimens, or it may just be the scientific specimens. You know, it just kind of depends. I'll try to cater the talk a little bit depending on, you know, what they're interested in, but, uh, you know, it, it can involve any and all of the above. So. And, and you had mentioned, uh, aquatic education. How, how does that come into play? Um, aquatic education, which, which really cool with, with my current position is I supervise our, basically our, our sport, uh, fishing, um, or aquatic ed coordinator. Um, that would be, uh, Mr. Dennis Segura, He's just a wonderful man. He's a great employee. He's a very hard worker. He's a retired teacher. He's got a wealth of knowledge with teaching. But to be able to be involved in that program is really cool because we get to go all over the state and to promote uh, fishing and, and to be able to go out with kids from schools or groups or, or whatever. I mean, it, you know, it just doesn't have to be kids. I mean, it could be adults, but to be able to try to educate these groups on, you know, how to fish and fishing etiquette and, you know, ethics. And, you know, if you catch fish, you know, if we're fortunate enough to keep a few showing them how we, you know, gut fish and, you know, just, just the whole process of that. It's, it's a lot of fun. And we, we, at, with that, I mean, we do get to work a lot with um, some awesome volunteers, uh, Trout Unlimited here in New Mexico, um, the Truchas chapter, and then also the Bosque chapter. I mean, the volunteers there have just been, I mean, phenomenal. They 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 go out of their way to help us with with any and everything, and 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 they're not the only ones. We've got a lot of other volunteers out there with the Aquatic Ed program that help us out. We've got a, a handful of contractors that um, also represent the department. They do a phenomenal job. A lot of their stuff is uh, similar to what we're doing as employees, and they're carrying, kind of carrying it on, and we're able to, to uh, kind of get out there and get 
bigger numbers with these contractors, but uh, it, it's just, uh, you know, truly a team effort. There's no one person that's, that's shining. It's all of us working together, uh, just trying to educate people about, you know, how to fish and um, just the whole gamut. It's, it's a lot of fun, man. It sounds like there's a lot of lot of people involved, a lot of a lot of people on that on that team that you were talking about. So how many how many people do you think y'all reach each year with these education type activities and events? Um, I know here lately I was just kind of peeking at some of the numbers, and this is numbers like uh, that you know just all of us working together as a team that we were able to reach, but between aquatic ed and con ed, you know, going to public events or schools or whatever. Um, I mean, we were reaching, oh, I, you know, I would venture it was almost 11,000 people uh, for the fiscal year, which which is just phenomenal. You know, it's, it, it's good stuff. And uh, that's a lot of people that we're educating about wildlife. That's a lot of people that we're educating about, uh, about fishing. So it, it's a lot of good stuff, man. Yeah, wow, that's... That's a lot of people. Well, so let's say that that there's a, a teacher at a school or a, or a, some kind of either a Boy Scout group or church group or or somebody that would like some more information on on these different education um, events that y'all do and and how to go about having you or somebody from your team come out and and host an event. How how should they do that? How would they find more information on this? Um, they um could uh always give me a call, uh, by any means. I mean, we've got information up on our, on our, uh, on our, uh, public website. Um, if they go to the education link and then the wildlife curriculum, they do have, uh, Dennis's, uh, contact information and mine as well. Um, they could easily reach out to us. Um, a lot of the times what I like to do, like say I, you know, per se, let's say I had a teacher in Silver City, New Mexico, reach out to me and they would love to have somebody come in and maybe do a, a con ed or a wildlife talk. A lot of the times I'm going to uh, reach out to the uh, district officer or probably their supervisor, their sergeant. And I usually give those, those gents and gals the opportunity to go in um, to be able to, to do that in that capacity, because um, that is truly part of, like I mentioned before, community policing. So getting the, the actual game warden in the area, to be able to go in that way the kids are able to or the adults are able to to meet their local officer um and it's a very positive interaction they could go in and educate them but uh you know it's one of those let's say that somebody was interested in trying to have a uh, a fishing uh clinic or a camp for you know maybe their class um and and if my shop like dennis and i if we were the ones to kind of coordinate that uh, we'll definitely invite the district officers, but you know, if anybody's interested in anything like that, just, just give us a holler, give us a call, shoot me an email. Um, we'll be happy to work out, work some of those logistics out and see if we can possibly make it happen. Um, we do book up very, very quickly, especially in the summer months. We book up extremely quick, quickly. And, and unfortunately there's some groups we kind of, may have to, you know, kind of not, not really turn away, but I mean, you know, if we're already booked, we're booked. It, it makes it tough. So the sooner we can work out logistics, uh, it's just, it's better for everybody. So. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you, you have a, 
have a heck of a job. Sounds like a sounds like a fun time. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. It's it's a lot of fun, man. Well, I'm going to switch gears on you just a little bit here. Um, you know, I think everybody is is out there thinking about summertime and summer activities, but but the fall's going to going to be here before you know it and with that it's going to come some some fall uh fall hunting seasons uh including some over-the-counter opportunities like uh like the fall turkey season and everybody knows at game and fish that you are extremely passionate about turkey hunting a a turkey hunting fanatic i am (laughs) i'm addicted i'm a turkey nut i'm addicted to turkey hunting whether it's spring or fall i i don't care I, i love to get out and hunt turkeys that's awesome. Well, then let's let's take a little time and and uh, let's let's talk turkey. Okay. Um. So so first off, so we're talk, talking specifically here about fall hunting. So can you tell us some of the differences, some of the main differences um, in turkey behavior uh, and how they're acting in the spring season versus the fall season? Yeah. No. You bet. I mean, it, it's one of those when you look when you look at a a wild turkey, um, you know, and you look at all four seasons of the year, um, you know, turkeys are a, uh, you know, very gregarious animal. They, they love to be in flocks. They love to hang out. About the only time they're really not going to be in flocks is in the springtime. Once those hens get bred and they go to set their nest, you know, a, 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 a hen in the spring, when she goes to set her nest, she'll probably lay anywhere from eight to 12 eggs. Uh, generally will lay one egg a day. Uh, once her clutch is, you know, she's laid her eggs, um, she will pretty much continually set them. She's not going to move around a whole lot, but she's really by herself at that time, very susceptible to predators. But um, after 28 days, uh, the babies will start to hatch, and then all of a sudden they're starting to be back in their flocks because um, she's got her little ones. And then as they get older, they'll join more hens, more poults as they progress. And then as we get into the fall, they're, they're definitely still um, going to be in, in large flocks and probably starting to get in bigger flocks. Um, and, and they definitely will tend to be segregated. And by segregated, I mean, usually you're going to have hens and poults in flocks. Uh, you may have a group of jakes, uh, which are toms that are not a year old. Generally, they're going to be hanging out together. They may hang with hens once in a while. They may hang with longbeards, but usually your longbeards or your older toms are going to be in other flocks. So they're going to be segregated. They have a pecking order, um, and turkeys have a pecking order year-round. It doesn't matter if it's spring, summer, fall, winter. Um, there's always going to be a dominant bird or two, and, and uh, they maintain that pecking order. It just within gobblers within that hierarchy it's it's definitely going to pick up a little bit in the springtime uh where they maybe challenge each other a little more for obvious reasons because of the breeding season but even in fall there's still a little bit of a pecking order um but when you get into fall turkey hunting it's just real key to understand that turkeys um they're they're really trying to get prepared for winter time so they're really trying to uh, eat eat a lot of groceries and a, that time of year hopefully we've got a lot of mast on the ground whether it be acorns pinyon nuts uh, juniper berries will be a little bit later in the year they're probably still hammering down on insects and what little green grass is going to be out there because grass is starting to transition we're getting 
you know, fall into winter and some of our green grass, for the exception of maybe in some of our creek bottoms, is starting to brown. So they're, they're kind of transitioning, but they're trying to build some of that fat up, uh, especially on their breast sponge. So, so it, it, if they're more focused on food, it's not the breeding season, they're not looking for hens, how do you how do you hunt them in the fall? How, do you have, have any, uh, any tips or tactics of, of how you go after specifically fall turkeys? Oh yeah, without a doubt. It, it, it's one of those that, you know, a person, um, can try to hunt turkeys in the fall, um, by a couple different tactics. Um, and, and I've tried a couple different, I mean, turkey are, are a very vocal animal, uh, you know, it's one of those, uh, the, the, the gobbling intensity is going to really, you know, that that's going to be in the springtime. I mean, because the way it works in nature, you know, the gobbler gobbles from the tree, the hen comes in, the gobbler pitches down when the hen comes into him. So us as hunters, we're truly trying to reverse that by calling them in. But with that being said, even in the fall, you're going to hear turkeys gobble um, and, and but you know, it may not be a lot, but they, they still will gobble. But me as a hunter, if I'm trying to call in birds in the fall, um, you know, there, there's probably going to be just a handful of calls. I think that a hunter needs to really focus on, uh, one is going to be your kiki or the kiki run. Um, and basically that's a polt, a young turkey of the year. Uh, they're going to have a very high pitched whistle that will break off into a yelp. Um, and like I said, with turkeys being gregarious, they're going to be a flock animal by you imitating a poult, Hopefully you're able to bring some birds in, um, to your location by imitating that because they're going to be interested. Hey, there's a bird over here. Um, let's go check out the bird we're hearing. Um, and a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of hunters I know that maybe go out there to fall turkey hunt. They just kind of buy a fall turkey tag in hopes of, well, I'm out elk or deer hunting and maybe i'll come across the turkey if i'm out bow hunting and be able to to use my bow in september or, or any legal weapon type for turkey uh in the month of november um because those are the two two times you're going to be able to hunt turkeys in new mexico is going to be the month of september or november so but another calling tactic that could work is uh utilizing gobbler yelps Go gobblers will yelp a lot of people don't know that but they do it's just going to be a little slower uh, cadence, if you will, it, it, you know, and it's only going to be three or four notes, um, but, but gobblers will yelp. But um, when you gobbler yelp and maybe mix in with a little bit of purring and stuff, really what you're trying to do is maybe bring in some gobblers that because they do have a pecking order and, you know, they may be like, hey, we need to go check out this gobbler that's hanging out in the area that we've been feeding and watering in for the last month. Um, we don't know if we like this gobbler that's here, but you're just trying to draw some curiosity and bring them in. But focusing on your gobbler yelps and then focusing on your kiki runs um, hopefully will help people uh, be able to call birds in in the fall. But, you know, if, if you do do that, if you, you need to make sure you're doing your scouting. You know where these birds are located. Um, where are they feeding? Where are they watering? Where are they roosting? And if you're able to really narrow down where these birds are running, you're drastically going to increase your chance of calling these birds in. Because 
in the fall to me you don't really run and gun like you do in the spring because in the spring you could drive and go every mile or two and try to call in hopes of getting a bird to gobble at you in the fall you're not trying to get them to gobble back to you but if you've done your scouting and you know where these birds are making their living where they're running and you get in there and you're using your key key runs or your gobbler yelps or whatever you're trying to do to entice those birds to come in and check out your deal, you're drastically going to increase your chances of trying to call them in. So, so, so are you just finding, finding a food area, finding where they're going to water and then setting up and staying in one spot and, and, and calling, calling there or, or how are you, um, what's your uh, approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely will do that. I, I tend to have a lot more patience with my fall birds. Um, if I know that they're working a particular ridge, um, let's say that in my scouting, I know that I've seen hens and poults, like a big, large flock of them, but I've never seen any gobblers. I know right off the list, I'm going to scratch off the gobbler yelps. I'm not even going to try to imitate gobbler yelps. I'm going to focus probably on kiki runs with some some contentment type calls like maybe purring with an occasional cluck and you're just trying to imitate that a bird's looking for some other turkeys and they're kind of feeding um but if i'm out walking a ridge and i get set up in one spot i will go ahead and start a series of calls and then i'm not gonna get up and leave because i think well i didn't hear any turkeys they didn't call i mean it may take a while for those turkeys to hear you to pass through Um, because these birds I mean they can cover a mile or two pretty easy in a day just making their loop Um, and they may at that time they may be roosting in the same trees every day or in the same area but um, you know it can be kind of hard but it you know getting them located but once you get them located they should be in that general area as long as they're not getting pressured by other people those birds are going to be in there. But if you get in there, just take your time. Um, generally, if I start a series of calls, I'm, I'm going to start off and call occasionally. Um, and I'm going to, you know, it, it's one of those that I'm just going to kind of start real soft because there may be birds close. And if I actually get some birds calling back, um, I'm going to kind of key in on that. If, if I start to key key run and I've got some birds that are key key in back, I know I've got some probably some hens and poults that aren't too far away and I'm going to start imitating them. And then all of a sudden you may all of a sudden trigger that uh, pecking order because uh, there's going to be hens. Hens have pecking orders as well. And you may all of a sudden trigger that lead hen where she's like, hey, I don't know if I like this girl that's over here making noise. I'm going to come check her out. And she may bring the whole flock with her. You know what I mean? Um, but but if 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 i'm not hearing anything i'm going to just kind of do some blind calls if you will i'm probably going to set up for 20 30 minutes at a time maybe even an hour and i'll probably stay there and do little series of calls and go quiet for 15 minutes or so do another series go quiet for 15 20 minutes do another series if i don't really have anything come in for an hour or two i may go ahead and pick up go a half mile mile and then re just do it all over again um but uh you know, hopefully over time you're going to get some of those birds starting to respond back to your calling. So. And, and when you're talking about doing a series of calls and then taking a break, how long how long is that series of, of calls that you're doing? 
Um, it won't be very long. Um, it's one of those that if I'm doing a key key run and mixing some purrs and stuff in, you know, I may go ahead and, and do a do a key key and then purr and then kind of go quiet for just a little bit. And then I may open up with another series and then go quiet for a few seconds. But but I, it, it's not going to extend past, you know, probably 20 or 30 seconds. I'm not going to pick up say my box call and just hammer away on it for a minute solid i'm, I'm gonna do a, a key 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 maybe a key key run and then i may pick up my pot call do a little bit of purring and then i may go ahead and do some more key key or key key run type calls and then i'm just gonna go quiet and just kind of listen um and and uh you know i i don't get super aggressive with my calling uh, i tend to be more i don't know uh um, just just kind of really quiet with it, I guess. I mean, if I'm setting up, I may be setting up in a saddle or on a trail because, uh, you know, turkeys, they, they I mean, they're going to travel uh, down uh, two track roads, uh, you know, game trails. Uh, they're they're going to be utilizing that stuff. But if I know I've got some birds that are working a ridgeline, they're eating acorns or doing whatever they're doing that time of year, um, I, I just don't want to um get super aggressive with my calling um now if they start calling back and they're getting aggressive i'm, I'm gonna probably pour on the calls to them and try to imitate what they're doing so 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 far what you've you've talked about is kind of hunting those food sources and and trying to call them into you something that i've heard for fall hunting is uh sometimes a tactic uses is busting up a flock and then and then calling is that a tactic that you ever use or, or not really um, it's nothing that I've tried per se, but I know it definitely would work um, because um, the key is if you go to bust up a flock of birds, let's say that you've glassed up um, some birds and or maybe you're 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 driving down a road and all of a sudden you've got turkeys on your left, you got turkeys on your right. Um, if you're able to scare those birds and I mean, you know, the only way it's going to work, you got to get birds basically flying in all directions. Because if the turkeys spook and they all go in one direction, there's a good chance they're all within eyesight of each other. And you really didn't bust that flock up. By busting a flock up, it means you are scaring birds every direction. And then, you know, you probably want to give it, you know, 15, 20 minutes, uh, if that long. And then start doing your kiki or your kiki run. And because those birds are going to be looking to get back together in their flock. Um, they, like I said, they're, they're a gregarious animal. They feel a lot more comfortable and safety in numbers, and they're going to want to get back together. And by starting to call, you'll probably get those birds, um, you know, and I would probably be starting to call within 10 minutes of busting a flock, you know, 10 to 15 tops, and, and you've got a good chance with calling those birds right back into you. Um, I've even seen some really, really cool video. You wouldn't be able to do it in New Mexico, but like in states like in New York, they actually have turkey dogs, Appalachian turkey dogs. And, you know, they utilize the dogs to bust the flocks up. And then when the flocks bust, they're they're doing their key key runs and they're calling those birds right back in. Man. It's really neat to see it definitely works if you're able to get those birds busted up. But like I said, it's extremely key 
if you do bust them, you got to get birds going in different directions. If they all fly off the same direction and it looks like there's a good chance they're all landed within 50 yards of each other, they're probably all going to be in eyesight and they gather back up and they're gone. But if you can get them busted, you know that they're going to be trying to come back to that area looking for each other and hopefully you're able to call some in. So so maybe maybe a little harder to do without without dogs, but uh, another tactic to have in your back pocket. Oh yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, definitely you're you're able to uh try to try to try to utilize that without a doubt and it, it may be something that works. I mean, you may have some birds at 80 yards, they're just out of shotgun range, but uh it may be one that you think, "Man, I think I can I've got a chance to at least get up instead of trying to sneak in on them and hope that you can get within 40 yards of one to use your shotgun." you may be able to just take, you know, I would, for safety's sake, put the shotgun down so I don't trip and fall with a loaded gun, obviously. But, you know, you may be able to just take off at the flock and just bust them and try to scare them in different directions, give them about 10 minutes, and then start your your, your calling series and see if you're able to get them to come back in. So, And one of the other uh, things you had mentioned earlier was finding uh water sources is that a tactic you use as well as is hunting water or, or um i definitely have i i've taken a, a few turkeys off of water um i've hunted them very similar to how i i love to hunt sometimes elk uh you know in the month of september you know i may be setting a water source for elk knowing they're going to come in to drink and i've done the same for turkey i mean they've got to they've got to drink every day i mean they've got to come into water sometimes they, they may hit a water source multiple times in a day um just depending on how hot it is you know the month of september um you know there may be a little more water on the landscape um just because you know we're just coming out of our monsoonal season so it may be a little bit tougher hunting turkeys the month of september off of water but generally like the month of november um you may have a little bit more luck um the tanks haven't frozen solid yet um, turkeys have probably found where those pockets of mast are and they're really hitting those areas pretty heavy, either getting pinyon nuts, acorns, uh, juniper berries are probably starting to think about drop a little bit. They may be hitting some of those, but, uh, you know, it's one of those that if you find a tank water source, um, and it's, it's, it's got a, a heavy concentration of turkey sign on it. Um, it may behoove you to uh, just try to brush up and wait them out and see if you've got some birds coming in or if there's only a trail or two, um, just kind of setting off those trails and seeing if birds are coming. The hard part is is trying to guess when the birds are going to come because there's no guarantee. I've had turkeys come in first, first thing uh, in the morning. I've seen turkeys at water sources in the fall, um, like 40 minutes before they fly to roost. I've seen them middle of the day. Um, with turkeys, they're active all times of the day, um, and that's what's fun about hunting them too. Is I mean, you, you can start from legal shooting hours till the end of shooting hours, and, and and have a great chance of getting into birds. It's not like your elk or deer hunting where, you know, your prime time is early morning, late evening, because you're pretty much active all all day long, all day long. So that's good to know. I, I would have thought that it would have been maybe a a midday thing sitting on that water but it sounds like they could they could hit that all day long all day long yeah yeah any, any time of the day i mean i they, there one time i was setting a tank and I, I had a group of gobblers come in just out of range it was a real large large water source and 
I uh, kind of put my eggs in one basket. I had to pick my poison, what what side of the tank I was going to set on. And um, initially, I picked the right side. And you know, if I would have stayed there, I would have gotten a bird. But uh, after about an hour or two, I convinced myself I needed to be on the other side. So I went over, got brushed up, and a couple hours later, the toms come in and they were just out of shotgun range. But they came in 9:30, 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, I went back the next day. Um, and uh, was going to get set up, and I convinced myself, no, I need to be where I was yesterday, and that's the right spot, and I set up, and no turkeys come in that day, um, and, you know, I left a little before uh, fly up, if you will, so they may have come in that evening, so I went back a third day, got set up, and they came back in that day, but it was like two o'clock in the afternoon, so you just, you really know, you, you know, you really don't know what time they're going to come in to drink, so... Well, so we've talked a lot about different kind of setups, and you've you've mentioned different calls, and it sounds like the calling is a lot different in the fall than it is in the spring. Um, could could you go into a little more detail about um, the different calls and what they sound like, and maybe even even demonstrate some of those for us? Yeah, you bet. You know, I, I can try to to go over, you know, try to imitate some of the calls. Uh, that, that you may do in, in, in the fall. And by no means am I a competitive caller. I mean, I, I get by and that's about it, but, but it, it's one of those that I'll, I'll try the best I can to imitate what I, what I'm trying to imitate um, in the fall. And uh, you know, I, I'm not really going to use like a regular box call, but I have a long, what they call a long box call. Um, this is going to be a real, uh, you know, just like its name, it's going to be a very long box call. Uh, a lot of your custom call makers make them, um, and you can get a lot of volume, but you get a lot more variable sound out of them. But you can, add, with that being said, they're a little easy, well, definitely easier to try to imitate like a, a key key run uh, with versus, you know, I, 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 I can't key key run on a regular box call, but a long box call, I can do the best I can to imitate it. Um, and that's because. Like I said, a key key run, uh, it'll have a whistle and it breaks off into a, uh, a yelp, um, a yelp. So I'm going to do the best I can to imitate it on, on a long box, and then I'll try a diaphragm call. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do uh, the key key on a long box. Um, you're just trying to strike the paddle over the top third of the box, and you're just trying to get that high note. And we're not going to break it off into that nasally yelp. Um, but we're just going to try to get that whistle, if you will. And you're only going to get about three or four notes here. So, but let's see if I can get it done. Just a real, real high pitch. A key key run is you're going to have that whistle and then you're going to kind of break it off into that yelp. So I'm going to do the high pitch, three or four notes, and then we're going to break it off into a yelp. So. See how it kind of broke it off into a yelp? Um, your, your normal yelp is just going to be like this. But your key key, you're going to have that high. And we break it off into a yelp. So, with a like with the diaphragm call, diaphragm is air blown. It's a mouth operated call. 
Um, I find that the ghost cut, no matter what call manufacturer, um, most of them make a, a version of a ghost cut. It's just the way they cut the diaphragm call. Um, there's a lot of different ones out there, but you're able to, I think, best imitate the key key or the key key run using a ghost cut diaphragm call. And uh, I'm going to get this call in my mouth, try to get the reeds uh, moistened up. And when I start to use the diaphragm call, um, I'm going to go ahead and do a yelp. That way you can hear just what a normal yelp is. And then I'm going to go ahead and do a key key, which is the whistle. And when you do the key key, you want to say the word P, 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 P. And then you're going to break it off into a yelp. Okay. So let me get, get it in my mouth here and see if we can break it over. Okay, I'm just going to do a regular yelp. What I'm going to try to do is we're going to try to whistle with it. We're going to use the word P-P-P instead of yelp, 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 or kelp, 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 P-P-P. So we're going to try to get the whistle. And then we'll break it over into a yelp. competition caller the competition callers are going to sound a lot better but that's basically what the the key key and the key key run is the key key is just the high whistle and the key key yelp is you're mixing that high whistle and you're breaking it off into a yelp sounded good to me so so you you would really need a uh for a beginner like me you'd need a long box to to try to make that work yeah yeah just a long box call um it's one of those that if you go to uh um, a, a turkey call uh, website, and, and I'm not promoting this website by, by any means, but like say you went to Midwest Turkey Hunt Calling Supply, you could do a search for long box call, and they'll probably have a couple variations of long box calls that are made. There's a lot of different call makers that are making them. Um, I have another one here, um, another long box, and that first one I used, it had an aluminum lid on top, so it gets a little more nasally with the yelp. But I'm going to use this long box call, and I'm going to go ahead and just do a yelp. But if I want to do a key key, I'm going to try to strike the lid on the call, just the top third of it. That's your key key, and then we're going to do the key key with the yelp. That'll be the key key run. got that high pitch and then you break it off into a yelp so and that's really your your main call for the fall yeah it is it is it really is and then in conjunction with with the uh, you know the, the the kiki and the kiki run i may mix in some uh some per purrs and stuff just like contentment type call like if i'm using i i, I can purr a lot better on a pot call than i can a mouth call and I've got a pot call here. I can just do some contentment type per calls. And, you know, when turkeys, like if you envision a flock of turkeys, you know, feeding across an oak ridge, um, you know, they're going to be kind of purring, you know, just an occasional cluck here and there, just 
trying to, you know, they kind of keep tabs of each other, but they're just, they're, they're content, they're feeding, they're, they're happy. Um, and you know, uh, a purr that a turkey may do would, would be something like this. Makes a few clucks in there. Like I said, I'm not the best on a diaphragm call, but I can try to purr. kind of some purrs couple couple clucks and then kind of a key key and key key run so um just just trying to imitate some birds kind of keep track of each other but the key and key key run a lot of the times when they're doing that they're just trying to locate other birds they're wanting to get back in their flock so it's very different than than calling in the spring it is yeah it's it's a lot different i mean in the spring you're more focusing on you know, the, the breeding season, if you will, in the fall, they're, they're geared completely different. They're obviously not out there trying to breed or do anything like that. You know what I mean? Um, another call that I, I like to try to use is, uh, you know, gobbler yelps, you know, a gobbler yelp, like I said, you're going to only hit three or four notes. It's usually going to be a lot slower, a little deeper. Um, and you know, because like a hen, when a hen yelps, it's just, I'm just using a regular box call there, but, but, uh, you know, a gobbler, you may hit three or four notes, just be a little slower. Just a little more kind of drawn out a little bit slower than a hen yelp. So, um, and, and if you, if you've got some gobblers in an area, you know, if, if you can, uh, you know, maybe throw out a gobbler or two, maybe do a little bit of gobbler yelps, mix in some clucks. If they start to call back a little more aggressive, just try to imitate what they're doing. And then you're maybe keying in a little bit on that, um, oh, that, you know, that dominant Tom may want to try to, to come in and be like, hey, you know, I've got my group of buddies here. I'm kind of the man of the ridge. Who Who's over here? Who's in our country? And you may be able to get them to come in. So, well, so knowing that, that the setup's different, the calling's a little different, do, do you think that hunting birds in the fall, if you're, a, if you're a spring turkey hunter and you've never hunted birds in the fall, will that help you be a better spring hunter? Oh, without a doubt. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that because it, it's going to make you learn patience. I think the biggest the biggest thing that spring turkey hunters fail at in the spring is they don't have the patience. They think that, okay, we're going to drive in our vehicle. We're going to stop every half mile to mile. We're going to get out. We're going to blow a crow call or we're going to yelp. And if we don't get anything that gobbles, we're just going to keep going, but they may be driving past birds. And, you know, that may be a tactic that works for some people, but, if you've done your scouting and you know where those birds are making their living and you know where they're roosting, you know where they're primarily feeding, you know where they're watering, I think that you need to focus all of your energy and time in that specific location. And that's always paid dividends for me. I mean, 
um, just without a doubt, e- even in the fall. I mean, there's one area I've been fortunate in taking a couple birds. It's a really wet uh, canyon bottom. It's spring-fed uh, the month of November. Um, pretty much the only green grass that's up on the mountain or left is in this canyon bottom because it is spring-fed, so it's getting water constantly. And there's still a little residual with insects. Um, but um, it's one of those that there's a lot of Russian olives in this bottom and that fruit is ripening and hitting the ground and those turkeys were just hammering that stuff and even just still hunting in there and, and mixing, you know, working real slow. Um, it gets fairly thick. They're working trails, you know, setting up on trails, mixing in a little bit of calling. It just, it could really, really pay dividends, you know, so, but just learning your patient learn to do your scouting, uh, trust the sign you're seeing, knowing that, man, birds are out here. Um, they're around and just, you know, just believe in yourself. You don't have to be the best caller in the world. I mean, just, just get out there, have fun with it, practice your calling. Um, but just, just go have a good time, man. Oh, that's awesome. I, I'm sure you've really got some folks fired up to try some fall turkey hunting this year. I, I know I'm going to give it a try. So I just wanted to remind everybody, it is an over-the-counter hunt. Storm's mentioned September. He's mentioned November. So the the uh, the bow season is, is the month of September, the 1st to the 30th. And then a shotgun season. Uh, again, you could still use a bow, a crossbow, in November. Um, and that's from, again, November 1st to the 30th. One thing I'd like to throw out for the hunters out there, um, you know, you can find a, a lot of stuff uh, on YouTube. And, I mean, if you want to learn to kiki run or just call, you can find uh, some of the world's best callers out there, uh, you know, that work for these uh, call manufacturers. And, and they show you how to use the product, how to make the specific sounds. And uh, just, uh, you know, start doing your research. And then from there, figure out what call is going to work for you. Are you going to use a long box? Are you going to use a diaphragm? you know, what, what kind of call are you wanting to try? And, uh, diaphragm calls take a lot more practice than a box call. Box calls a lot easier, but the diaphragm is a lot more forgiving that you don't, you know, you're not having to move a lot with it. A box call, obviously you're, you're having to move your, your hands. So you, you are giving up your position at times or take a chance of that. But, uh, that was all I wanted to add, man. Well, Storm, sure appreciate you. Um, joining us today and telling talking turkey and telling us a little bit about conservation education you bet you bet i'm gonna have to check out some videos and uh and learn how to kiki run there you go there you go man well thanks again storm and and thank you all for for tuning in today be sure and check out our other shows and the new mexico wildlife digital magazine and the monthly e-newsletters And get outside and enjoy all the outdoor recreation opportunities that New Mexico has to offer. See you next time.